Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average, and those savings add up. Imagine what you could buy in the future. The graphics are so real on this video game console I bought with the savings from switching to Progressive 10 years ago. I can't tell what's real and what's the game, which I think is what people want. You know, in the future, which it is currently. So switch to Progressive and save big because those savings can add up in the future. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National annual average insurance savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive in 2020. Potential savings will vary. Everything we know about UFOs is changing. Thanks to a team led by former Pentagon UFO investigator, Lou Elizondo. That is real, whatever that is and former top intelligence official, Chris Mellon. This is a current, continuing phenomenon. It's happening, it continues to happen. They discovered five unique characteristics that UFOs have in common. They call the five observables and released groundbreaking videos <laughs> that forced the Navy to admit its pilots were coming face to face with unidentified objects. The U.S. Navy made a shocking admission today. Strange flying objects caught on tape by their own fighter pilots are, in fact, UFOs. Something needs to be done. Now a new wave of military witnesses is coming out of the shadows. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared this. I've never seen anything move like that. Shape, size, speed, it's clearly unidentified. The team is united on a new mission. Connect the dots to reveal the truth about UFOs. This thing had no capability, like anything on Earth. And warned the world about the dangers they might represent. Carl Sagan once famously said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. He was absolutely right. But now we have the proof. Hi, this is Sean Cahill, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi folks and welcome back to TUP Talks episode 3, a couple of weeks later than we originally planned due to the the summer in the UK being uh, true 2020 fashion, an absolute washout. We have had borderline hurricanes, tropical storms, not nothing as bad as what people in the US and whatnot are having around the world, but in the UK things kind of come to a standstill. So we are finally here to discuss episode 5 and 6 of Unidentified and my name is Andy and of course I'm here with my co-host Dan. Dan, how are we doing today? Hey Andy, I'm good. It's good to be back. Yes, it is. It feels like a, a lifetime ago since we last recorded, but it's it's been a couple of weeks, so we're planning on getting back on the wagon with the, the shows, and there's a lot coming out over the next few weeks as well. Strange, we're recording this one after Unidentified has finished airing. Originally, we thought the show would finish tonight, but it moved to having a two-hour finale with two episodes on the go. But we will do our best to not discuss that. Hint, uh, as Dan is shocked to know, I still haven't watched the the finale yet. Um, I may have shared it with some people, uh, and I do know bits just from, obviously, social media, but I've stayed away from it so I can watch it and enjoy it and try and not let anything bleed into this. Um, But Dan no spoilers but thought thoughts on how it's kind of ended for you uh fantastically uh ended with um uh kind of hitting a, a home run i would say yeah 
and uh, Dan created that lovely little summary video of the end of the the finale and put his hashtag NUAP secrecy on there as well, which was really cool. And we shared that on Twitter on the day. So yeah, I, I, I do think I gave full credit to Dan for that. I did not make that. That was all Dan's work. But and I did wait till Dan had shared it before I did. In your defense, it, it literally is a clip at the end of the show. So my work was very, very small. I only put the uh, contact your officials and UAP secrecy on there. The rest yeah, of it is all Anthony Lape. Yeah, Dan deserves no team. credit whatsoever. If anything, he's plagiarizing. No credit for me. No. Yeah, and <laughs> probably should be included by the History Channel as well. So if anyone wants to get in touch with me from the network, I'll pass on Dan's full details and you can take him to court for that one. Uh, yeah. this, got, this is why I tell you I give you a fake name <laughs> <laughs> it's never been Dan all along but yeah folks so we, we are back to discuss episodes 5 and 6 and again thank you everyone for commenting on uh, the shows and giving us your thoughts we had a lot of people sharing a lot of different opinions on it and what we'll do with this one is straight off the bat I want to make a point and the episodes here seem to split people with a lot of people saying online that episode five was really good, but they really didn't like six. But I've seen quite a few people saying that they didn't particularly like number five. It moved away from the military. And I should say that episode five was airline encounters. Episode six was the UFO cover-up. Very much a recap of the whole Nimitz encounters situation. Um, what were your thoughts on the two episodes then, Dan? Um, I see what people mean. Um, you know, it's been very military focused, servicemen focused, um, so that we know we've got great observers uh, going through these experiences and recounting the details. Um, but knowing who this show is pitched to, i.e., people on the hill, people deciding whether to vote on S four hundred nine, they they're looking to inform those people. Um, and I think having just an episode where we talk about the aircraft encounters and commercial pilots who are also uh, trained observers, um, especially with some of the cases that we see where they actually capture the object in the sky and then they capture the radar, it's good evidence. Um, and it's yet another area of life where these things, these encounters are, are, are prevalent. It's everywhere. Um, and I think this episode helped drive that home. One thing that I saw straight away um was obviously Lou met one of the pilots and he brought in photographic evidence as well. It's that frustrating thing, wasn't it, that when you take a picture with a phone, even the very best camera phones now, it still never looks as good as as the image you're seeing with the naked eye. It's just, you know, that's just technology Absolutely. and where we're at, um, which is ironic given the nature of the subject we're talking about in this technology that's thousands of years <laughs> in advance. However, the, the picture of the show, it's very much a dot on the screen and Lou takes the camera and he holds it and he goes, oh, look, there it is. But what I will say, and, you know, play devil's advocate with some of the debunkers and the skeptics, when you take a picture of a star in the sky, and uh, it can have that image, can't it? And I think on Twitter today, there was a few people discussing various images of look at the sun and look if you take a picture of a star and how it looks. And if you zoom in on a planet and they all have that, it looks like a cellular, cellular organism. That's hard for, for me to say in Scottish folks. Yeah, absolutely. Like that kind of ring shape, right? When they're slightly yeah. out of focus. And it's, I get it's hard for the cameras yeah, to see absolutely. that. And, and I'm not having the conversation that these things are organisms before. I know that's that's thoughts that people have that these things are live. And that's that's another show for another time, okay? But what what I do see the point is that the actual photographic evidence they, they used didn't look particularly enthralling 
you, what you have to understand or I suppose take then at face value is this pilot saw this with their naked eye. They know what stars look like when they're flying. Uh, in, in the night time they know you know all different things are going to see with the naked eye they saw something that wasn't a star that wasn't another flight wasn't a plane they're trained to see these things yes they can get it wrong but just like the military witnesses these pilots are highly highly trained people so i, I can see though both sides that what did the photographic evidence necessarily prove other than the pilot felt compelled to get his camera phone out and take a picture what, what did you think on that yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, it makes me think of, you know, the FLIR 1 gimbal and GoFast videos, to be honest, because there, there's been a lot of discussion about how in a vacuum, those videos in and of themselves are kind of pretty unremarkable. It's when we kind of listen to the people who were there, the witnesses, the eyewitnesses, the person that chased it, the person that filmed the video. This is where all the very, very extraordinary stuff comes from. Um, so similar to that, if we like this video, if we only saw this video, there wouldn't really be much to the sighting, right? But knowing that the pilot is a trained observer, hearing the story behind it about the movement, as opposed to a dot in the sky being filmed and kind of seeing it on the radar, it, it changes things a bit. One of my favorite things from previous episodes was hearing the police radio dispatch on being sent to remember look for the huge building sized craft that was hovering over over a small Absolutely. town so again here we're hearing pilots discussing some of these things and the air traffic control discussing them that was something that a few people got in touch about to say they wanted to hear discussed that surely um i think it was lose goatee Obviously, we've got the real Lou Elizondo now on Twitter, but Lou's Goatee, which is a, an account you should be following. Um, very interesting episodes. Commercial Pilot's testimony was very compelling. Surely FAA transcripts would back up what was said over the plane radios to add more weight. So no doubting there's a lot more of that out there as well. But again, trying to throw all that into a kind of 44, 45-minute episode can be difficult. Uh, would you like to see more of that sort of uh, transcript information being released in dispatches? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a space that exists between us. I'm, I was going to say the word believers, but it's not believers anymore. Us, us who embrace reality and the skeptics. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a space that exists in between us where if we had that radar data, we could meet them there and go through it and all come to an understanding. And similar with this as well, if we could get those transcripts and the conversations out, we could start having a proper conversation about it instead of just arguing about evidence we don't have. Yeah, and and that's it. And again, it's, it is difficult. And there is the idea, again, with these incidents that happen in midair and some of these pilots made, made the point that if one of these objects whether it was you know a nuts and bolts craft as, as the phrase has been used a lot on twitter recently or you know you hear about spheres inside of cubes whatever it is or light orbs if one of these things hits one of these craft you're going to take it down you could then go into, I suppose, conspiracy territory and say that some of the craft or airplanes, sorry, that have crashed over the years with, and we've not found out why or it's been a bit mysterious or, you know, has it been a technical failure? Has it been one of these things that's hit one of them? That's maybe getting a little bit out there, but it's, it's, a, it's a possibility given these pilots mentioned how regularly, you know, these things can happen. Um, is there an element there that, pilots should be backed up more on these 
from a from a safety point of view, given the lives that they've got on board, or do you think these these entities that are flying near these aircraft, you know, attaching themselves underneath them, flying alongside, flying right towards, and then moving, do they know what they're doing, and they're they're not going to be hitting these craft? There are plenty of examples in in I guess it's different for talking about the occupants of these craft, um, but when it comes to humans, we can be as safe as we possibly can and accidents still happen, right? Um, and we're no longer talking about a, a sphere with a cube inside it flying between two F-18s. Um, we're talking about something hitting a passenger plane with hundreds of passengers aboard. Um, yeah, it's a safety issue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I listened to Howard Hughes not that long ago. Um and we were just—they uh, were discussing. Sorry, on that show, I wasn't on the show. Uh, it was a again pilot testimony that had came in from the UK, where they had seen huge craft, and then there's been other craft that have came in and attached themselves almost underneath these airplanes, uh-huh. landed with them, and we're hearing the same thing kind of all around the world that these orbs particularly can follow track the flight path, stay underneath, and then fly off. And yeah, there is a lot of interest there. And again. I can see why some people maybe found this episode a little bit less compelling than others. But for me, I, I, I do personally see the argument that airline pilots, military personnel, authority figures and, and such do have a different credibility to the general public, rightly or wrongly. I think they do because what do these people have to lose? Do they really all just want five minutes of fame to sit on a camera with Lou Elizondo? And given they have 2,000 reports coming into them that they have to sift through for the series, these are the ones that they have found the most compelling, most interesting, and the people that would come on camera as well. So I've got a lot of trust in people like Alou Elizondo, who he's not just sitting there having a conversation with these people because it's interesting. He is reading their body language. He is reading their speech patterns. He's listening to what they say in ways that we could only you know, guess because of his background. He's literally figuring these people out as they speak to him. And they make it onto the show for a reason. And he speaks to them like we've found out from some of the guests I've spoken to recently. Um, you know, obviously we had Jeremy on. And again, who else was a talk? Oh, yeah. So you got Gary Voorhees on the round table with Kevin Day, Patrick Hughes. Go back and listen to that, folks. It was really good. But again, they all spoke to Lou Elizondo for a long period of time. What you get on the show is a couple of minutes. Tim McMillan doesn't sit for five minutes and then they use six 30-second clips to put throughout the show. Well, they, fly, they fly him out for three minutes at a time. That's, that's yeah, what they do. <laughs> that's it. Yep. So we need you for three minutes a day, Tim. Pop into the studio, bang, mic, clip, off you go. Socially distance recording. These guys sit there for <laughs> hours and they are having conversations with people like Lou who, who, who are reading, like I say, body language and tells and signs. So you have to think of all of that when these conversations are getting put out there. There's a reason these stories are being selected. It's not just these are the couple of people who got in touch. So think of it that way when you rewatch it. And it's just a different way of watching it, I think, as well, if you can just tune into it. Um, yeah. Kyle. I can uh, see it too. Yeah. So episode five up to that point, Dan, given you have a run right now of the last episode was the best, after episode four, which you thought was the best in the series, were you convinced after episode five that that was then the best in the series? I was, predictably. Um, there, there was one particular thing in the episode. I, I love a good airline sighting anyway. Um, you know, the, the 
uh, sighting they used in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, which was a real-life sighting as well, um, that they incorporated into that film. That was kind of one of the first ones that I became interested in. Um, so yeah, it, it holds a special place in my heart. Um, and the episode actually built up to a, a sighting. I think the gentleman's name was uh, Robert Schlenker. Um, <clears throat> there was a sighting where basically NORAD became involved. Um, and when NORAD were notified um, of the sighting, they said it's right out of the X-Files, it's a UFO. They laughed, they hung up. And then later on, they called back to say that they had them on the radar. And this really touches on something that Chris Mellon and Lou have spoken about before, and that is that NORAD have a hell of a lot of sensors in the, on, in the sky above us um, and above America. And their data is absolutely a necessity if we want to start digging away and getting to the bottom of this. Yeah. End of the day, episode five, I enjoyed it. It was more testimony. The incidents, well, maybe not as compelling or dramatic necessarily as some of the others that we've heard about, just for different reasons. When you take into consideration these these flights are in the air, travelling fast, if any of us were on those planes and you saw something flying alongside it, that there is that element of danger there and lives at risk. So I enjoyed episode five. Uh, Kyle got in touch and he said episode five may have been the worst in the series, but just to segue, episode six may have been the best. So he wishes they'd done more to debunk the US testing against its own Navy theory, because that's what the episode he believes led you to believe in the middle 30, and not much was said to disprove that theory. Now, I haven't spoke again recently, very recently, to Kevin Day, Gary Voorhees, and Patrick Hughes, having listened and watched this episode again with Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo. Let's forget what's been said in episodes seven and eight, which would only add to this argument, but we'll put that to the side. (laughs) That They still very much go with the episode six, the UFO cover-up. They have to bring in, maybe this could be our technology. Is it the Russians messing? Is it the Chinese messing? Is it the US messing with their own pilots? They have to give rise to that. Um, Lou himself does does mention that, you know, is it possible? Sure. Is it plausible? No. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this isn't the US testing on on their own. Not that I'm saying that people within governments worldwide wouldn't do that. It's, It's been proven, it's been done in the past. But what would you have to gain from using this sort of technology? Because... The, the one in a million chance that if this was the US testing a new Tic Tac they'd, they'd built, okay, what if something did happen and it crashed or hit the carrier deck or it was shot down? What what if that one in a million thing happened? It's just it just wouldn't be worth the risk for, for what were they trying to achieve? A dogfight with so- David Fravor? And if you if you think of the physics behind these things as well, the the forces involved you know, if one of these things was to say go wrong and explode when it was starting up about to vector away, we're talking, we'd miss a chunk out of the planet. Earth would look like the Apple logo. You know, we, we can't mess around. It's not us. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be crazy. And again, you, you can't say 100%. And Lou Elizondo himself has to come out and say that. But Chris Mellon sits and says, we are very confident this is not the US. They have the conversation. Am I right? It's with um, Steve Justice, where they tend to use him as a sounding board for, you've been involved in these sort of secret tests in the past in various ways. 
would you and he's even shaking his head before he's even finished asking the question again that no this is not us this is not how this would be done there are so many reasons it's wrong which most of which they won't go into for for various obviously obvious reasons but yeah so episode six very much covered back on the nimitz um princeton situation and something that has come out more recently that i thought was really interesting patrick hughes who is a talking head regularly on the the series and again spoke to him quite recently he dropped a little bit of a bombshell that i think still went pretty under the radar pardon the pun under the radar um but i think it did go a little bit unnoticed how much weight goes behind another west coast entity as it was put was also tracking these these tic tacs and remember as we've heard these things apparently came in from outside the atmosphere 80,000 feet dropped to the seabed there was something underwater and then they, they you know they they done what they done over the course of 7 to 10 days which people forget it wasn't just an incident this was something that happened over the course of you know over over a week um uh-huh. another organization tracked these i suggested to to the guys who obviously aren't going to sit and tell me what what this is for various again for disclosure reasons but i suggested in my head i'm thinking something like a nasa or a missile defense system and they very much mentioned i think gary Voorhees mentioned that up and down that coast there are various missile defense systems built throughout the years and sort of nodded towards that being the direction so another entity did track these and when people and so, some of the get uh, listener questions coming in were on that that how quickly i think it was uh, ryan sprague actually mentioned um air force personnel showed up within 30 minutes after patrick hughes secured the data logs and confiscated them how did he get to do that so quick why were they there was it planned by the air force i think patrick's point blows that out of the water because he's telling you another agency were tracking these and if they were, they've watched them sit out at sea, do nothing for days. Obviously, they've kept an eye on it. And as soon as been, as soon as any kind of contact or engagements happened, as we were told again by various people uh, who you wrote gave me the chills then when you said contact. contact <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, I mean, if there's yeah. no contact before, that is first contact. It's yeah, brave that that's it. It's he, he literally had the, his dog fight with this thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these the, the this other entity have watched it they've got out there and that's where they have stepped in and that's why they were there so quickly so for me that absolutely sounds reasonable and plausible and would be a far better explanation for how quick military personnel were on board the the princeton and the nimitz as opposed to it was them watching their own u.s tech being tested and they nipped on board to go up oh, can we have that data that that doesn't wash yeah. for me yeah, it's a bit of a random time. Um, the the two projects we heard about in the show that were potential US tech and could kind of fit some of the characteristics of the uh, events were, correct me if I'm wrong, Project Palladium, which and was Nemesis. using electronic signals to trick adversaries into seeing radar tracks that weren't mm-hmm. real, and Nemesis, which was about projecting multiple targets from a single drone. Um, and you touched on it already, but Steve Justice... Um, and Lou spoke about this in the episode and Lou was saying that when it comes to spoofing equipment, you can only spoof one domain at a time. So we wouldn't be looking at all these separate systems and another coast-based entity tracking these things. If they were targeting the Nimitz radar or 
the Hawkeye specifically just to mess with that. The other entity wouldn't see these things. Um, so as Steve Justice said, the literally multispectral confirmation just would not happen if it was US tech doing these things. Absolutely. And Gary Voorhees confirmed the same thing. Kevin Day came in on the same thing that it just it just it just doesn't happen. And again, I think it would be a boring conversation and you would have to have an understanding of those systems and have a real interest in radar to get why this just couldn't be plausible or, or you know, plausible even. So, yeah, it, th- this was not an incident where the US or another adversary were spoofing our tech. This, this was something else. And this is why, for me, this event still holds weight. And it's crazy that up until four, five, six years ago, and it's maybe the, the Twitter generation or Facebook generation, Roswell was always huge. You never heard anyone say they were bored of Roswell or that discussion. You know, it, the yeah. Phoenix Lights, even in the 90s, or just any of these incidents have always held held up in folklore. Here's, here's an incident that happened 16 years ago. We have artists commemorating them with, you know, badges that can be purchased from Dan's Redbubble site, just to drop that in there. Uh, we have... <laughs> more data coming out we've got more and more witnesses coming forward we've got really good videos of this we've got the department of defense we've got the u.s navy all confirming these things are unidentified and already we've got people saying they're bored of this incident how can you be bored with this it's without literally seeing the door of one of these craft open and a little gray alien wave at you you know that there's not much more you're going to get in terms of a pretty spectacular incident and I think we'll get to talk about maybe this later on and just surmising but like a mass sighting potentially happening in the, for the general public this happened uh, on these ships where thousands of people were on board and working um, and witnessed these over the course of a period of time as well so for for me that's why this persists and I get why some people were a little bit oh we're back to the Nimitz stuff and they wanted new videos but it's just there's a reason this is persisting, and for me, this this is the new Roswell. This this is the new standard bearer for our generation, and what's going to ultimately, I think, lead to to the progression of this whole topic and discussion. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, it's it's as infamous as Roswell was already. Um, I'm I'm not quite sure. It's it's at the point yet where I could ask a friend who doesn't know anything about this and they'd kind of go oh yeah it's mm-hmm. roswell yeah. limits i'm not sure but give it 40 50 years and absolutely it is going to be because of all all the data that's available to us and it is frustrating that we don't have this radar data so we can kind of definitively shut people up but <laughs> there's an element here that i feel people are listening to and that is that the dod has said they're unidentified um, we're, we're not looking at something that, you know, imagine, imagine you had a garage with 5,000 cars in and then a car drove by really fast outside and you filmed it. You'd be able to tell if it was anything in your garage fairly easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the tech that you've got and you know, the, the, the EM sniffing that this tech does to kind of pick up profiles and things like that. They've been looking at this for 15 years and it's unidentified or longer than 15 years and it's unidentified. Like we have to assume they've done their due diligence here and not assume like a certain person that sits in his garage trying to recreate conditions that he can't possibly do in the space of his garage. Um, that we're, we're kind of outclassed. It's above our pay grade. And what we do know about it is that they're unidentified. 
Do you know what? And let's be fair. Let's be fair, okay? So we're going along the lines of this is extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, interdimensional, future travellers, whatever, okay? Alternate realities, there's something that would be what we're looking for. It's, it's alien in the sense of the word. Let's have the other argument then. Sure. This is the US, okay? This is Russia. This is Chinese. Where did they get this technology? Where is the sudden breakthrough and leap in technology? What was on board? Were they not piloted? And then are you looking at some incredible AI leap? Bear in mind, Elon Musk, you know, one of the, whatever you think of him, one of the kind of geniuses or big thinkers of the 21st century, as as is kind of becoming more and more obvious, has just put an AI link in a pig's head, okay? So you can find out what your bacon was thinking this morning. That's that's kind of where we're at, and yeah, I don't doubt where we always know the technology is what forty, fifty years ahead of what we actually see in public. This technology is forty or fifty generations, or five hundred generations, or a thousand generations ahead of where it should yeah. be. So that that then opens up the whole other question of have they reverse engineered it from something that they found? What was the sudden breakthrough in physics that they decided? Oh, do you know what? Never mind going from A to B to C. We went from A to B to C up to W and X. There's a whole chunk that just doesn't make sense there that we've suddenly came on. It's like one day someone invented Alexander Graham Bell, you know, uh, picking up the telephone, Dr. Watson, come here, I want you. And he, Dr. Watson walks in with his iPhone and goes, actually, I've got one of these. Um, this is This is better. That just happened. <laughs> That's not how this. Works. That's a great analogy. I like but, that. But you know what? It's almost like the look on his face. Yeah. Oh, okay. You should have just texted me. He's you know? taking it seriously. I, I don't like taking phone calls. You know, imagine getting ghosted on your first phone, the first ever phone call. <laughs> so yeah, but that—that's what it's the, the the comparison to. And again, for me, that's an equally as incredible argument. And I've always said that, that if there are no other aliens out there, there's no other dimensions, there's no other entities, it's just us. We're the top of the food chain, which doesn't seem to be where this is all going, if you've watched the full series. But if it is just us, and we do have all this stuff flying about, then the laws of physics are are too basic, and there's a whole other understanding out there, and it, it does open up too many questions. So that's almost more incredible or more unlikely than the idea that this is something else because what we're seeing is just it doesn't make sense is that is that yeah. fair to say yeah i'd absolutely agree with that um and and that's very much what tcs are trying to do i think or have been trying to do um because the end of the season kind of definitively puts their flag in a certain place that i won't discuss right now um but yeah to kind of go well let's seriously look at this this is insane this is anomalous this breaks our understanding of what should be possible what the hell is this it's not saying it's aliens and we're starting from there it's saying this is mind-blowing what is it we could really do with this right now and we really could you know you look at the energy crises around the world and stuff like that and this technology if it is as it appears to be then it's it's a hail mary as a as a species right now. Absolutely, and Chris Mellon, like we've said before, he he says in this episode, he's very confident it's not the US. He asks the question as as it builds up in this series, which the series one didn't really go in this direction at all. But are we alone in the universe? 
Lou Elizondo mentions it could be us. You know, it's plausible. And again, to quote Lou in this episode, there are a lot of other options other than yeah, that, I was. That stood out. Yes. <laughs> and that gets built upon in the finale as well. Um, to bring in some more of the listener points on here, some of which we've discussed already, uh, Mark felt a, bit, a little bit confused when Lou said, is it possible it's our tech? Absolutely. Is it plausible? No. Um, he felt that was a little bit, uh, because maybe it could be. Uh, plus, there was a very quick still, he said, just before Mark Pilkington came on, that looked very much like the object Tom DeLong showed on a recent clip. And he completely disagrees with Chris Mellon that why would we blind test on our own? And he makes the point. It's not like we haven't done it before, but we've addressed that. And again, we've made our points on that as well. And we know governments around the world, not just the US, have no doubt experimented, tested, tried things on their own people that we would be horrified with. You know, it's came out in the past and I only imagine the things that haven't came out. And will it happen again? Probably. Um, The secret agent on Twitter as well, he mentioned he felt the Hawkeye Tic Tac testimony was very interesting. Even more compelling was the helicopter pilot who was test flying new military hardware and nearly crashed because of the orbs. It makes you wonder if more interactions with UAPs happen on these secret test flights past and present. It's a very fair point, Dan. It is. It is. Um, You know, we've heard in the past about uh, when we were testing new advanced technology in this case, nuclear missiles that they got the attention of these craft and you know one was even dismantled in an infamous story uh, during a test um so absolutely there, there's definitely interest in our in our newest technology there the last is, thing i want that, to is that do you think a uh, you know thinking from the angle of the the triangles and kind of mapping and reconnaissance I guess it would be part of that, right? Or could potentially be if it was Mm. people gathering information, they'd want to know what our best was before they engaged. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was, it kind of feeds into what I was going to make as my last point on the episode. And um, Ryan Sprague had touched on it as well. Uh, Regarding the, the nuclear aspect of this, Patrick Hughes very quickly shot this down when I asked him. He rolled his eyes for, I don't release the the video, but on video he rolled his eyes and I said that on the episode when it was brought up. He doesn't think it's anything to do with the nuclear aspect of it. I mean, to be fair, Elizondo, Chris Mellon and a lot of others, there's a whole episode on it, UFOs and nukes in in this series. It's it's a a massive part of ufology in general. Um, He doesn't think there was anything to do with the fact there was a nuclear element out there that these things would have been involved. Um, your thoughts on that, Dan? I mean, I've, I've got to defer to the people that are there, right? I, I can't correct someone that's there. there. There was a nuclear-powered sub there, um, and it's been thought that that was possibly in the water uh, when Dave Frabo so, saw the, uh, the object under the water and the waves breaking over it. Um, but aside from that, I haven't really heard anything about nuclear material being there um, aside from a slight kind of nod and suggestion towards um, that maybe an agency was fishing for these things and were hoping for a sighting using something that potentially looked like a nuclear device. Yeah. If you go out in the middle of the night in a hot, clammy environment 
in the dark and you hold up your your telephone now your your telephone my god when have i last called it a telephone that's because i said telephone before <laughs> and you held up your iphone your android phone whatever and you press the button and that light comes on you attract all the flies and the moths and that's what in essence a lot of people are saying that they put all that nuclear material out there in whatever format and these things are drawn to it and the UFOs and nukes episode, again, it's even mentioned that some of these sites weren't actually holding nuclear material. They were they were dummy dummy warheads, yeah. and these things still had an interest. And that's maybe, again, linking in with what you're saying, Dan, about are, are they mapping? Are they checking and going, oh, let's have a little look here? No, this is all, you know, no, we can turn this on and off anyway, but we don't have an interest in this. And again, when you've got those black triangles flying out over the desert, and you hear that it's a mile or a mile and a half away from an Air Force base. And you think, well, why are they that far away? You don't know what's underground. You don't know what's in the hills. You know, you don't, you, you yeah, can't absolutely. see everything. And is that why they're triangulating or mapping those areas potentially? But um, yeah, so see for me, episode five and six, I enjoyed. I felt episode six was a slightly off tone uh, episode to the rest of the series and could have been a bit of a standalone or if you want to call it Christmas special on the Nimitz encounters potentially, but absolutely no issues with either episode. And again, really happy with the series. Um, and I was very much looking forward to it and still am watching the finale. And that would obviously be the next episode and final episode in this series of TUP talks. Well, potentially the final episode, we might be doing a bit of a, a recap after with, potentially a, a special guest or two on as well to discuss who may have been involved in the filming of the series as well so um so dan <laughs> do you want to give us your little summary then episode five episode six where are you at um five i loved um like i say it, it really kind of filled in that gap that not only military observers but we are getting you know trained more commercial observers seeing these things as well um, and we're told that most of them don't report in the reports if they are filed aren't followed up on so that was a really nice puzzle piece to put into the picture. Um, and then uh, episode six, like you say, it kind of felt like a, a special to update us on the Nimitz and what's gone on since that first season. Um, so I really enjoyed the update. Um, but like you say, it could have it could have been a, a special, I guess. Awesome. Dan, absolute pleasure as always. Pleasure. And all the listeners, thank you very much for sending in your uh, thoughts and opinions on the episodes. Episode 7 and 8 were, of course, a two-hour special, and we will be recording that hopefully sometime in the next next seven days, Dan's doable for both of us. Yeah, I think so. Awesome. Um, so please send in, uh, using the hashtag TUPTalks, which I've discovered hashtags are a really good way of tracking uh, comments. If you could stick that on there, I'll have a thread on Twitter anyway. I'll obviously have it on the Facebook page, on Instagram, and if you can email UFOUAPAM at gmail.com, as I am starting to get more emails too. So very much appreciate uh, everyone listening. to mention go one on. last thing just before we wrap up go on <clears throat> it was my first note for episode five and I, and I kind of missed it just just that i know there are a lot of people that don't look at twitter um and things like that so they might have missed this in episode three uh lou said that there maybe there are more observables um and since then um he's done an interview where he's explicitly spoken about the sixth observable uh which is biological effects so if you're listening to this um, and you haven't looked into that yet, there's a great article by Danny Silver kind of summing up uh, what it's referring to. So have a gander for that through Google. 
Absolutely, go and check that out. Uh, sixth observable, and I've got no doubt that there are more as well. So, might end up being yeah. the modern day Ten Commandments by the time we're finished with this. So, <laughs> worth worth checking out. And folks, if you don't do anything else today, and I'm sure you'd all do already if you're listening to this, go and follow Louise Elizondo on Twitter and tell him how much you love him. And if not, you know, at least deserves a thank you for the for the work he's been doing. But again, folks, thank you very much and look forward to the next episode, Dan. And keep looking up. Never know what you might see.
Invest in your home. Dave Ramsey here for Low Country Contractors. Now's a great time to enhance your home with that new dream kitchen, bath, or addition. I trust Low Country Contractors. They've been voted Best Home Improvement and Remodeling Contractor by Mount Pleasant Magazine, voted Top Remodeler in South Carolina by Remodeling Magazine, and they have a 98% customer satisfaction rating from Guild Quality. Folks, this is a no-brainer. Visit LowCountryContractors.com. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.